portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We could talk for a a long time about the cultural differences between marriage in Jesus' day and marriage in ours. We could talk about the difference between an arranged marriage culture and a a dating culture. We we could talk about the, the very, very significant contrast between what we know as engagement and marriage and what the Jewish people knew as engagement and marriage, and it's all very interesting. And I had planned, actually wrote four paragraphs that I was going to walk you through. All this cultural stuff. And then I second-guessed it. Because as interesting as it is, I don't think it really has all that much of an impact on what Joseph was feeling. Does the cultural context of a commitment and how you get to it really matter? If the person that you commit your life to is all of a sudden pregnant and you know the child is not yours, does it matter? I have a hard time imagining what it was like to be Joseph. To know that baby's definitely not mine. There's great pain connected to broken marriages. We live in a culture where marriages break all the time, so often that it's becoming normal, it seems. Whether your mom and dad are divorced, or you are divorced, or a sibling of yours is divorced, or a child is divorced, or a close friend is divorced, we're all touched by it. Who of us can say that we're not touched by a broken marriage? Every single one of us has experienced it in some way, shape, or form. And that's all that we see here, at least it appears to be what we see here. As a Jewish man, Joseph had three options. See to it that she's stoned to death. Divorce her with great public shame. 
or divorce her secretly. Those were his three options, according to Jewish law. He chooses the honorable one. He chooses the option that that leaves the possibility that the child is his, and for some secret reason, all of a sudden, this, this marriage cannot last, and as a Jewish man, he had the right, according to the law, to end the marriage without telling anybody why, but the child could still be his, which would at least leave some honor intact for Mary. That was nice of him. Did it make it easy? I wonder what it was like for Mary to know that she had done nothing wrong. She had not done what Joseph thought she had done. She knew that better than anybody. What's she supposed to do? Go to him and say, well, an angel came to me and said that I was going to have this baby that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7. Trust me. It's not what you think. How is that going to go? Would anyone in their right mind believe that? Would any man pledge to be married to a woman who was all of a sudden pregnant believe that story? What were these two to do? I suppose you could say Mary had one choice. Trust God. Trust the one who had put the child in her womb. There was nothing she could do to control the situation. There was nothing she could do to take the reins back during this challenging time. All she could do was trust the Lord. I find it really interesting that the Lord sent the message to Joseph the way he did. In Luke's gospel, we have the two accounts of the message of pregnancy coming to first Zechariah, who was a priest who would be the father of John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel comes directly to Zechariah while he's very much awake and tells him all that's about to happen. Your wife Elizabeth, who's very old and has never had children, is going to have a child and you're going to call him John. He's going to be the one that the Lord promised who would prepare the way for the Savior of the world. And Zechariah's got questions. And so he starts interacting with the angel Gabriel. And he's doubting, how can this be? And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. I'm just bringing you a message. And because you doubt the word of God, you're not going to talk until your son is born. And all of a sudden, Zechariah can't talk anymore. Then the same angel Gabriel comes to Mary directly. And she's got questions. How can this be? And they go back and forth. Not here. This was not a two-way conversation. And so the Lord sends his angel to Joseph in a dream. And he gives him information. And he speaks in the future tense. You will give him the name Jesus. And you will be the one who marries this woman and you will be the one to watch over him as his earthly father. Why? 
Because this is the one who was promised through the prophet Isaiah. This is the one called Emmanuel. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Some of you have gone through the earthly challenge of a broken house, a broken marriage. Some of you have not personally lived that. But we've all been through challenges. We've all been through challenges that are so strong, we would love to know what's really going on. Lord, what what are you doing? Why is this good? How is this going to work out? I just want to know. And we would love it if the Lord sent us this direct one-way message in a dream. Just send your angel to come tell me what in your good name is going on. Wouldn't you love that? You crave that. There are so many times in your life when you just feel lost and you feel like you have no idea what's going on and the situation is so far beyond your control. You've tried to control it, but you just can't. And you don't know what to do and you just wish God would tell you what's going on. And perhaps there's even a part of you that thinks there's this great injustice that you don't get to know what's going on. But what I'd like you to consider today is that when you think you don't know what's going on, that's the problem. You're not listening. You're looking for God to come to you with some special message, some some unique message mind-blowing explanation that's going to help you understand all that's happening. And in that moment, you're the problem because you're ignoring what God says. He says, Emmanuel. He says he's with you. He bookends the Gospel of Matthew with this concept. It's at the beginning and it's at the end. The the Gospel of Matthew is about God being with you right now. Right here, at the very beginning, after the genealogy, which makes it very clear that Joseph is the legal stepfather of Jesus, he is with us. This is real. God has come just as he promised through the prophet Isaiah. God has come. Emmanuel. And at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, when all his work of being Jesus, Jesus who will save his people from, his, from their sins is complete, he looks to you and he looks to me and he says, and surely I am with you. Always. To the very end of the age. The problem is that you think you're going through it alone. 
The problem is that you think you're going through it with a Savior who just doesn't get it. You think you're going through it with a Savior who has no ability to relate to you at all, and you're just wrong. Because the fact that he was born Emmanuel, the fact that he was born of a virgin, means he very much gets it. It had to be this way. He had to have no sin, and so he could not have an earthly father. His father had to be sinless. His father had to be perfect and blameless and without guilt, and his father is. He had to come into this world and be born of a woman because God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that the Savior of the world who would crush Satan's head would be a seed of Eve. It had to be this way. The virgin birth had to take place. God had to come and be with us in a very real, physical way. He had to become one of us, and it had to happen in this way, and it did. He came to be with us in the flesh so that we could be with him forever and so that he could be with us forever. But realize forever starts right now. Forever is right now. And it's been since you came to know Jesus as your Savior, since you were baptized into his family, since you were made his brother, his sister. He has always been with you. He is with you now, and he will be with you forever. You see, he had to be Emmanuel so that he could be Jesus. I could preach you a whole sermon on the name of Jesus. Yeshua. It's an incredible story how we got the, the, the word Jesus. It's passed through many different languages to get to us. I'll spare you the details for now. Maybe someday we'll talk about the, the way that we got from Yeshua to Jesus. But the name that is given to Joseph to give to this child, to this Emmanuel, is a name that showed up in the Old Testament many times to Joshua, the great conqueror of the promised land, a kingly figure, to the priest, Yeshua, who was the high priest of the temple as it was rebuilt in the days following the exile in Babylon, to the prophet Hosea, who married a whore, a picture of God with his unfaithful people, Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. Yeshua, the Lord is salvation. What kind of salvation? Salvation from really hard earthly times? No. Salvation from temporary pain and suffering? No. Salvation from sickness? No. Salvation from sin, death, and hell. He will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, Jesus. What beautiful names. The God who is with us is the God who has saved you from your sins. You are going to face challenges. Of this I'm certain. As long as you're alive, you will continue to face challenges. 
Don't look for some direct message of God explaining to you exactly what's going on in this moment. You have all the information you need. You have everything you need to get through any challenge because you know God is with you. God wants to be with you. God has made sure that he will be with you through the work of his son, Jesus, who has saved you from your sins. Be at peace. Have joy, even through challenges. Because Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus has saved you from your sin. I'd like to close with a beautiful hymn. If you'd like to follow along, I'm going to read you the words to hymn 335, to shepherds as they watched by night, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Oh, then rejoice that through his Son, God is with sinners now at one. Made like yourselves of flesh and blood, your brother is the eternal God. What harm can sin and death then do? The true God now abides with you. Let hell and Satan storm and rave. Christ is your brother. You are safe. Not one he will or can forsake. His promise he will never break. Let every scheme the tempter try. You may his utmost powers defy. You shall and must at last prevail. God's own you are. You cannot fail. To God forever sing your praise with joy and patience all your days. Amen.